when I think about how, what, we can, what can we do to help him, I think about, okay, how do you help a leader? You know, because leaders meet the needs of others, but leaders also have needs. And so when I thought about that, my mind immediately went to a man that I think in the Bible is probably the greatest leader of all the leaders, and that's Moses. I mean, he was a fabulous leader in very difficult situations. And so if you would turn to Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to be in several passages, but we'll go in order. We're starting in chapter 13, and we're going to do, we're going to do some reading in 15. We're going to do some reading in uh, 16, and we'll read a verse in 18, read a verse in chapter 19. So just follow along. We'll, we'll, stay, to, we'll stay together, but we're going to start in Exodus chapter 13. And it's, I, want to picture the, I want to get the picture painted for what Moses had to deal with as he was a leader, and um, at the very end, well, we'll answer the question, what can we do to help our pastor, and how can we help our pastor? How do we know what to do? And uh, we'll, so we'll present something that is a possible plan, something to think about anyway. So most, God used Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. Of course, and, uh, things went very well at the beginning of the deliverance, so Israel left Egypt in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17, through eight, 17 and 18. It says, and it came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, and you know the story, how that Moses went continually, but Pharaoh wouldn't let him go, and all the plagues came, all these things happened, and there were all this stuff in Egypt, and so finally they get ready to go. But it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. And God knew his people, didn't he? For God said, lest for adventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. So he knew that they were kind of fragile, you know, these people only lived in Egypt. We haven't, we're not talking about people that have lived for over 400 years at this time. And so these people had only lived in Egypt. Now they're leaving, they're leaving their home. It wasn't a good home. It was a terrible home. But sometimes people are afraid to step out and do what God wants you to do. Instead, they get afraid and they turn back to what they know. And God saw that in his people. He said, so we're not going to let them go to the land of the Philistines because they may be war there. So we're going to send them to the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Nobody lives there. You know, you don't have to worry about wars a lot in the wilderness. You know, it's just there's nobody there. Very few people. So it was the easy way to avoid war, but the hard way to live. Okay, so that's what he told him. So, um, so he led him that way. So in verse 18 it says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up uh, harnessed, not are harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So in other words, they took animals with them. They took their animals and they load their animals down. They had all kinds of wealth that they took and all this that, that we read about other places. So we, we learn in chapter 13 also that the Lord guided them by a pillar of cloud in the day and by a pillar of fire at night. I'm not going to read that, but it's in chapter 13. It goes on past this, in the few verses past this. In Exodus chapter 14, Israel made the most remarkable thing, I think, in world history when they crossed the Red Sea. You know, and so this to me is like, this is an amazing thing. Of all the things in the Bible that I would like to see a replay of, I think that's it for me. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible you'd like to see. And that's one I'd like to see. I just, you know, one of my favorite movies is still the Old Ten Commandments. It's got a lot of extra junk in it. But I love the view when they, when they part the Red Sea, you know, and you see all the waves, and you see all the sea up beside them, and the, the chariots are in there, and they all drown. What a remarkable thing. You would have thought that that would give Israel faith to follow God for a long period of time. Wouldn't you think so? You know, you would think that they really would. 
But you know what? Um, it didn't last all that long. In, uh, <clears throat> at the start of their journey, Israel praised God for what he had done. Look at Exodus chapter 15. Okay, and so <clears throat> there it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Those are pretty good words to a song that just explains what took place. You know, and of course, then he's got this, this whole thing is called the Song of Moses that's talked about here. And it, and it, it, goes, uh, it goes for quite a while. In, in fact, it takes up into verse 19 that this song is sung. So look at verse 20, though. I want to, the people that participate in this, uh, you know, it says here in verse 20, and Miriam, the, prophet of, of the, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, and by the way, since she's the sister of Aaron, who else is the sister of? Moses, because Aaron and Moses are, brother, are brothers, okay? So um, wouldn't you rather be known as the sister of Moses? You know, this, God wrote the Bible. Maybe it's for sort of pride purposes, but I'm telling you, if I, if, I had a, if I had a relative like that, if I was a relative, I would go around saying, boy, I'm related to Aaron. I'd be saying, I'm related to Moses. You know, it makes a lot bigger impact, doesn't it? You know, so Moses is the real leader, but this is, says the, but anyway, so it says that she's the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, singing unto the Lord, for he had triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. There's that, the song again. So we know that they're excited. They're, they, they recognize what God has done. They sing about it. But unfortunately, Israel had a short memory. Okay, uh, things started going downhill quickly. Like, would you believe three days? Look in, look at chapter, we're still in chapter 15. Look at verse 24. I'm sorry, let's go back to, let's go back to verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out of the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Three days. Look what God had done. Three days before, they had seen what I think is the most miraculous thing in the Word of God. I know it's not, but still, it's my favorite. The parting of the Red Sea. Three days longer. They can't go through a long weekend and be unfaithful. They're already discouraged. You would think they could last longer than three days, you know, and they found no water. I get water's necessary. But wouldn't you think if God could control water like that sea that he could provide water? Where is their faith, you know? And begin, but where's our faith? I mean, we can't really say we'd be any better because sometimes we doubt things, but just three days later, I thought, my goodness, this thing fell apart fast, you know? And so they're just, let's go back to Pharaoh, you know? So... Just three days. Anyway, it says, um, they went to the wilderness and went three days and they found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Okay, so they're real concerned already about the physical needs. And that's a pretty important physical need. I grant you that. But it's like, do they really not think that God can, can help them and, and get them through these problems? You know, so... So anyway, God gave them water, and then he tells Israel how to keep God's blessings on your lives. Because when they ask for water, aren't they asking for a blessing? 
I think so. It's a blessing. They don't have any water. They're in the wilderness. God gives them water. And so, okay, how do we keep God's blessings in our life? Look at verse 26. God says, well, this, uh, verse 25, we'll read about the water first. Said, and the, he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which had, he had cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Okay, so a statute and an ordinance, that's laws, a statement and a law. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon them which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now the diseases, of course, the Israel, Egypt had the diseases, but all these plagues put upon them just before they, lived, before they left Israel. And so here they are, they're three days out, and they get water, and God provides water and says, If you'll only do what I tell you to do. I'll take care of you. Now, folks, we're just as bad. You know? Now, we can trust God for our soul, but can we trust Him for the things of life? Sometimes it's kind of hard, isn't it? You know? But so, it's easy to be critical of others, but many times we behave the same manner. You know? But again, I'll pick on them. They couldn't, they don't think God's going to take care of their needs, and so He says, if you'll just do what I tell you, I will take care of you. Okay? And so, verse 27, and they came to Elam, where twelve wells of water and three score and ten palm trees, and they camped there, and they camped there by the waters. So guess what? Not only did God provide water for them, but God knows where water is. He knows where to take them. He doesn't need to take them there, but he gave them a little oasis to be in. You know, some, get in out of the get in out of the weather, which is bad. Get into the shade. They have a little oasis. There's a there's an oasis in the wilderness, and so they got to enjoy that some. So um, at the start of their journey. They praise God they had, but they had a short memory, okay? They cannot find water, what shall they drink? God gives them. So then, even though God gave them a plan to receive his blessings, which is what he just did, you know, he, it's very simple. He said, diligently hearken to the voice of thy Lord thy God. That's pretty simple. You know, but God knows man, God created man. I've often complained about Adam, because Adam, all he had to do was obey one rule. One rule in life. That's all Adam had to do. One rule. And he couldn't do it. You know? So because of Adam, we all have sin. And so we choose the sin, but because of, we, you know, if there ought to be a, a rule book needs to be pretty simple, you would think, obey one rule. Okay? Children of Israel, do one thing. Do what I tell you. That's all you have to do. Sounds kind of like home life, doesn't it? You know, you tell your kids, you do what I tell you to do, but things will be fine. You know, things go great. You know, so, uh, but you know what? My kids did exactly what I did as a kid. They misbehaved themselves sometimes. And so we all do that. But Israel's in a dire situation. You would think they would, they have, where else, if you can't trust God, who are you going to trust? You know, if you can't trust God, who can you trust? And so I guess they put themselves in Moses or maybe Aaron or maybe Miriam, because she was real sympathetic to them as well. But anyway, they, all they had to do was take care of one rule, one, one law, and they couldn't do it. So God gave them a plan, but they started complaining during the second month after leaving Egypt. Okay, look, go over to chapter 16. Okay, now again, this is, they couldn't last three days. Now, now they've been traveling for a, a month. And so it says in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. So we haven't made it to Mount Sinai yet. We haven't seen that yet happen yet. 
on the 15th day of the second month after they departed out of the land of Egypt. So we're, in our, we're halfway through the second month. So basically, you know, we're six weeks in. We're six weeks into this thing. And they still can't trust God. They still can't, they, they can't trust Him. And, verse, and they turn quickly. And verse 2 says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in, in Egypt, when we sat by flesh pots, and when you eat bread to be full, and you have brought us forth to this wilderness so to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'm sure that was God's plan. You know, I, re, I did all this for you. I've, I've brought you out of Egypt. I took care of the Egyptians for you. They lost their whole army in the Red Sea. I parted the Red Sea. You came across on dry ground. Dry ground. I've given you water to drink. And so sure, I brought you out here so I could get you in the wilderness and I could starve you to death. I mean, how reasonable is that? It's not even logical. You know, but already, again, so you know what I'm thinking about by this time, I told Rhonda this, uh, I don't know, last night or this morning, one, I said, you know, when I read this, and we get to Mount Sinai, Moses gets mad there, and he throws down the table, tablets of the Ten Commandments, remember? He got mad at them because of their sin. No wonder he goes mad. They had done a lot of things. They never trusted God. They were always causing rebellion. They always murmured against him, and so it was a tough, tough time, and so Anyway, this is, this is Moses, who I believe is the greatest leader. Try to, try to lead those people. Okay? I think he's the greatest leader of all history, and he's having all kinds of problems. Okay? So, um, it was a tough, tough time for him. And so, at the, um, at the start of the Israel crossed the Red Sea and all this, at the start of the journey, they had praised God for what he'd given them, but then they forget what happens, what's taken place, and they turn very quickly and ask, what, what are we going to drink? Okay, so it says God gave them, Moses tells them how, and all this. So then, even though God gave them a plan to receive his, they started complaining during the second, you know, the second month. We've already talked about that. And then God gave Israel manna every day. Look at um, when they complain here in chapter 16. Go down to verse 12. And then we're going to go down to verses 19 through 28. Verse 12 says, I have, well, let's go to 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmuring of the children of Israel speak unto them, uh, Israel, speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he gives them flesh the first night, and then he gives them the, the bread, the manna, and he gives them manna every day. Okay, and so he said, So you'll be filled, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and the morning round the, in the morning dew lay round about. And the dew lay was gone. Behold, upon the face of the wilderness that there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord God Lord hath given you to eat. Okay, now again, this is kind of this is really off the beaten path, I guess, but they're concerned about these little pieces of thing that they found on the ground that God said he was going to give to them. Who ever thought it was a good idea to eat an egg? You know, where do eggs come from? What part of the chicken? You know? They'll eat things that comes out of the back end of a chicken, but they won't eat food that God gives them on the ground? This is not logical at all to me, you know, and I eat eggs, so I mean, but still, I mean, really? You're wondering about what God is doing when you're afraid that God's going to not take care of you like he ought to? 
And so, are you you're afraid of this or something? So, anyway, they question this, you know. So, um, he says, I've heard this, and he, he gives them. And go down to verse 19. It says, And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. This is the, what they had to eat. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not to the Moses. So here Moses is leading his people. They're still rebellious. All these great things have happened. But some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was brought with them. So he don't do what I tell you to do, you know. And so they didn't listen to the instructions they got. And it said, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, this is that which the Lord has said, tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and see, the, see that you will see, and for that which remaineth, overlay, overlay up you for, to, for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid up as, till, the, uh, till the morning as Moses bade, and did not stink, neither was there any worm then. But Moses said, Eat that today, for day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days shall ye gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it shall be, no, shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day together, and they found none. So still, they're not listening to God. It gives you very simple, you're not going to gather on the Sabbath, eat what you had from the day before. But there's some that go out, they go out looking for food. Why? Because they didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't plan. They didn't follow God's plan. I am telling you, when we don't follow God's plan, there's not a good second choice. You know, there's just not. And these people continually, so you say, what in the world does have to do with leadership? Well, I'm getting to that, okay? Moses is this leader. He's got to deal with all this kind of stuff. So um, let's go back, let's go down to um, chapter 19, verse 1, okay? And again, I just want to read this verse because I want to give you this time frame here. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone from forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So, okay, so now they're in their third month out, and this is when they get to Sinai. So all this other stuff's happened. Here's what they have done. This is, they had, by the way, by the, what else, they had, they didn't have food and water they wanted, but forget one thing, they, don't, don't forget about one thing they did have. They had wealth. Remember when they left Egypt, what did they do? They spoiled the Egyptians. They took their wealth. Do you think they spent it in the wilderness? You know, they didn't have to go to a store and give money. God provided their needs, so they have wealth. And I'm telling you, this is a lesson we need to learn. Wealth never satisfies. It never does. They had all kinds of wealth, but they're not happy. And, of course, they shouldn't be happy with wealth, but they're not happy about anything. And so they're compl- it, because so I, did, I came to this passage because it's interesting. In the third month they do this. They came to Sinai. And so they, here's what's happened. By this time, they were chased by the Egyptians, but God took care of that. They didn't have water on two different occasions, but God provided both times. They complained of a lack of food, but God provided, even though they didn't always like it or prepare it the way God told them to. Moses had to serve as a judge in disputes. They're already getting at each other, okay? They can't stand each other. There are all kinds of bitter, bitter things to go in place. And you know that because of chapter 18. In 18, they're having, there's divisions of responsibility. You know, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and he gives him advice. And I may be the only father-in-law in in human history that's given good advice. (laughs) 
Okay? No, I'm the, hopefully you give good advice to your father-in-law, but this father-in-law did not give good advice. Okay, so he sets up all these different things. Look down at, um, so look down in chapter 18 and um, verse 16, where it says, when they, well, I'll read verse 15. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people of God have done, because the people come unto me to inquire of God, when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. Okay, now, this guy's not a godly man. We know that already. But, so, he says what you need to do is you're, you're going to wear away, so you need to appoint yourself. Okay, what did Moses do? Moses applied the law of God to the people. That's what it says. That's what should happen. But there's all kinds of conflicts, and so Moses is continually being bombarded by conflicts among the people. They're normal people. They sin, and so he's got all these responsibilities. So what does he do? So it's after this, we learn he, what he does here. He judges in disputes, and what is he taught the word of God to the people. He taught them the word of God. He demonstrated and taught the people how to walk with God, and so he definitely did that in his life. But the Bible here says that in this passage here that he taught the people when he gave counsel. I teach the people the word of God. And so, uh, so Moses was a leader that was trying to do what was right, and he tried to show, show the people how to live and what they should do. So then what happens is the Lord provides other men to serve, and that takes place in chapter 17, um, verse 8 through 16, and I don't know that we necessarily need to go there, but, um, oh, okay, so here's... Um, so during this time, though, he did provide men to serve, but, and some of these men do serve with him, and we're going to talk about a couple of these men, okay? And what happens in chapter 17 is that they, get in, they have an attack, okay? The, the Amalekites attack Israel. Look at verse 8, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 16, and this is where we're going to talk about how a leader does need help and the right kind of help, okay? It says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek, Amalek, and tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Okay, now this part is, I think, significant because Moses is not going to fight, but Moses is going to go to the top, okay? So he told these men to go out and fight. And so, and, uh, but Moses said, that he's going to stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And you say, well, shouldn't he be in there fighting? No, he's a symbol. And what this is, he wants the people to know that God's in control. He represents the Lord. That's what the Lord of the staff is in his hand he's going to do. He wants people to understand this fight is not a personal thing. It's a fight for the Lord. And Moses totally believed that. Okay, and so the fight, the fight is actually very interesting. And he said he would do that. So that's what he does. And so look at verse 11. It says, And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Okay, so easy, easy answer, right? Keep your hands up. How long can you do that? That's a, there's a problem here, okay? But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone, and they put it under him. By the way, don't you know that they see the problem? They see the problem because... They can see when Moses' hand go down that 
that Israel starts being defeated. When his hands go up, they win. When they go down, they're defeated. Don't you think Moses wanted to keep his hands up? But he can't do that forever. You know, and so it's not that Moses had lack of desire. It just basically he couldn't do it. He needed help. He is a leader that helped others, but he needed help. Can you get kind of where I'm going? You know, so he was a leader, but he needed help. And it says, it's, I'll start with verse 12 again. It says, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out a remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, they're going to go away. Make a record that they were here, but they're not going to be here anymore. And he says, And Moses built an altar and called the name of Jehovah Nissi. And he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, this is where I get this idea that Aaron and her saw a need and they stepped in to meet the need. Okay, so the question today is, like, I'm, I think we, I don't know if anybody that doesn't love our pastor. You know, and I know that's not 100% because no one's loved by everyone. But, but I love our pastor. I know what we do as a church. Uh, I respect him. I love him. And so when we got those things, literally, when I got the first text on Friday, I just sat there. I didn't call Rondi for a few minutes because I couldn't get composure myself. I literally started bawling for our pastor. Because when he hurts, I hurt. When he hurts, we hurt. Because I know that he loves and cares for us. And we ought to love and care for him. You know, and so uh, I, I just, I literally wept tears for a while. I couldn't talk. I was choked up and with tears running down my face. I was in my office by myself and tears were running down my face and I, I just couldn't do anything for a few minutes. Got composure. I called Rhonda. And then later in the day we got this message. Thank you for praying. Mom is in heaven. It was still sad, but the sadness is different then. Because with the first text there was hope that it wasn't the time for the Lord to take her. Because you want relationships with loved ones as long as you can have them. You know, and so, and I guess probably the hardest thing in my life so far, harder even when my parents died because they were so sick, was when I saw my parents grieve for their parents. That just made a profound impact upon my life. And I feel the same way with Pastor John and what he's going through right now. So he's a great man, a fabulous pastor, outstanding leader. But this is a tough time in his life. And we, people have asked, what can I do to help one word may be able to take care of this for us, okay? And so it may help each of us determine what we can do. The word is service. So let's look at this for a few minutes, okay? So I've got this in a slide. Um, Brian, if you'll go on. You can see what I've done here. There's, um, what can I do to help our pastor? Um, and so... We have the, if you see the underlined letters, it's called service. Because that's, isn't that what servants do? We provide a service. When we serve somebody else, and really in life, that's when you get the biggest joy. I don't know what your married life is like, but in my married life, I get thrilled to do things for Rhonda that she doesn't expect. 
I look for those kind of things. I love to do that. Stupid little things. Okay? Like, a few weeks ago, one of the strainers in our sink broke. So I went and got a new one. Okay? They didn't have any like the old ones, so I got a different brand, a different kind. It's far superior than the first one was. So we have these double sinks, and so uh, this one strainer, was, she really liked it, you know? And I, th- and I said, well, let me go buy another one. She says, no, we'll be okay. But then, as the longer you see it, there's two different strainers, and one's inferior. We're talking about senior, things in a sink, okay? So last week, or last, I think it was last Monday, I went and I bought strainers. I bought uh, three of them. One that I could replace it with, and two to give me the extra, extra baskets I could put in it without changing the whole thing, okay? <laughs> if something happens, okay? I'm planning for the future, okay? So, but I didn't tell her. So... Friday night, after she went to bed, I put the new strainer in the sink for her. So I get up the next morning, and I'm thinking she's going to notice this right away, but she doesn't notice it right away, you know? And so it's just kind of in the sink and everything, and she's, uh, she's actually working in the sink. She's getting, we have CPAPs. We have his and her CPAPs. So she's getting our stuff, getting ready to soak and clean out the tubes and all this kind of stuff, you know? And she's working at that sink right there at the kitchen, but she doesn't notice it. So... You know, this is more information than me, but I'm in the shower, and she comes in, she opens the shower door, and she's got this funny little grin on her face. I know she's found this strainer that I put in the night before. I love that kind of stuff. I love to serve her if I can. That's a stupid little thing, but that's the kind of thing that makes my day, you know, to be able to serve my wife. And, and so that's how it'll be towards God, okay? And so service, that's where it's at. And let's face it, our pastor serves. He does serve. So here's what we can do. I put up there as see, um, see what he needs. Be observant. You know, try to, try to Aaron and uh, her saw what Moses needed. They saw the problem. They were there. They saw that when his arms went down, Israel started losing battle. So they held his arms up. So they saw the problem. They were observant. That's how we should be. But we wanna, if we want to help our pastor, watch and see what he needs. Now, sometimes you have to check with him because what, his, what we think he needs and what he thinks he needs, that's not always the same thing. You know, but at least if we ask him, he knows we care. You know, and so be observant. See what he might need, okay? The next one is expect him to be human. He is. He is not perfect. You know, sometimes we put these men up on a pedestal and we think they can do no wrong. They can do wrong. And so expect that to happen. Some. Expect that he'll make a mistake sometimes. You know, I said earlier, what's it like to go into a room and you're the best at everything? It doesn't seem like he makes mistakes, but he will. He does. He's human. And I'm sure if you ask his kids, they could tell you about him. You know? <laughs> Kristen might not, but the kids would, you know? So, um, but we're expecting to be human. It's, it's, it's right. And so, because guess what? If he were God, he wouldn't need us. Now, God uses us, but let's face it, we're indispensable to God. But with, you know, here, God need, John needs us. The pastor needs his people. So be observant and understand that, that he does need it. Expect him to be human. Expect that he can't do everything. He can't do everything by himself. Okay, then uh, the R, I, said is, I would say, is respond. That's when he asks you about doing something. When he asks, do something. When he texted me Friday um, evening sometime, early afternoon evening, I can't remember exactly when, he says, will you preach Sunday morning? I didn't pray about that. I don't even know if this is called preaching or not, but I'm doing whatever it's called. And so... I said, yes, I'll do that. I just, yes, because he asked, I, I, he asked, I will do it. You know, because we, he needs our help. He needs us. And so when he asks us to do something, just do it. 
Now, there may be some big things you have to pray about, you know, because we may understand our skill set sometimes that he doesn't, but at least consider it and see if you can meet his need. And then the V is to volunteer. You know, uh, volunteer to help our pastor. Just go in and be a volunteer and just say, okay, what do you need me to do? And you know what? I bet he's got several of those this week. I would imagine, I'm not going to bet that, I don't bet, but I would imagine that he's gotten several of those where people say, what can I do for you? What can I do? And what, do you, what will he normally say? Pray. We need to pray for him all the time. But there's times you pray more fervently. And folks, right now is a time we need to pray more fervently for our pastor. You know, you say, well, his parents are older. You know what? That's easy to say if you're young. You're younger than I am. So I guess I'm really old. I should just die and get out of your way, you know? No, we don't want people. We, it's, a, it's hard when you lose loved ones. It's hard to let go. It's a hard thing to say goodbye. And so we need to firmly pray for him right now. But when he gets back, we need to continue to pray for him. But we also need to volunteer and let him and, and then help. Okay, the prayer is next, really, to intercede. We need to intercede for our pastor in prayer. And this is something we should do daily. We ought to pray for our pastor every single day because he's got challenges that we never know about. And he's got, he's got temptations, he's got strife, he's got contentions, he's got things to deal with. You know, people don't, you never understand what a pastor really does until you are one and you're in charge of everything and everybody thinks you have all the answers and there's a lot of pressure there. And so we need to, we need to intercede for our pastor. And then we need to show compassion. We need to love our pastor. I promise he loves us. I think you found that out. He loves his people, and we should love him in return. And we need to show that love. He needs to understand that we love him and we care for him. And then the last one is engage. That just get involved. Find some way to get connected to the church in a, more, in a way that can be honoring to the Lord, that can be a blessing to the church, that can be a blessing to our pastor. You know, I guess what I should be able to tell you about, or I can't really say I've done this, but... How I told you I love to do little things for my wife. I should be able to do that. I should try to do that for our pastor. Find little things that I can do for him just to surprise him. We just need to show love to our pastor because he does love us. So he is a leader and he helps all of us. But he needs help. And really, his help needs to come from us as we follow the Lord.